is no greater love, and we've been exploring what some of the impl implications are for us through these many attributes of his love, because love isn't just a good feeling. God's love for us carries such an unfathomable depth of meaning and effect in our lives, so we can live and should live differently because of his love for us, and I know that some of us do. We've talked about grace and mercy as aspects of his love. We've talked about justice as an aspect of his love, the steadfastness of his love, his immutable, unchanging love. We talked about the extravagance of his love and the fact that we're restored by his love because he loves us. And today we're going to talk about the fact that we can live our lives as Christians without fear because of his great love for us. And this is a really important concept for us to grasp because once you fully understand that we have nothing to fear in this world when we dwell, when we live in his perfect love, then it changes how you live your life. It, it changes how you proceed from day to day and how you view the world around you. In fact, I honestly believe that if you can grasp this truth and really absorb it into your life, into your thoughts, you know, into your understanding and let it really sink in, that it will radically alter how you perceive most of your relationships and circumstances. In short, I believe your life will be changed forever. Having said that, we might spend more than one week on this aspect of God's love within this series because there's the subject of understanding how uh, what it means to live without fear. And then there's the, the understanding of how we express a fearless lifestyle rooted in the love of God and what that really looks like. And I'm not sure we can cover all of that in one sermon. Uh, that's a lot of ground to make up. So we might continue this next week. We'll see. But today, <clears throat> let's turn, if you brought your Bibles, to the first letter of John, chapter 4. Okay, 1 John 4. And... We'll start off at verse 7, and we're going to try and gain an understanding of how love and fearlessness relate for the believer, okay? 1 John 4, 7, we'll read through verse 18. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's a lot of life-changing information in these 12 verses, 
okay? Not that we're changed by simply reading them, of course, but by actually applying what we learn here in our lives. So let's go back to verse 18. It's the verse that directly addresses fear, and we'll work from there, okay? Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. That is to say that fear has no presence in the fellowship of perfect love. It is cast outside of the sphere of the fellowship of love. It has no place with perfect love. The two cannot coexist. Okay, For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. If this is true, then that means I can live, or at least have the potential to live my life without fear. Is that really true? Yes. Yes, it is. It certainly is, save one. There is a fear that is both constructive and preserving. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That fear is called yira in the Hebrew. That is a reverent awe of the Lord. You can ask Job sometime about yira. He knows all about it. In fact, we're going to look at a portion of Job's conversation with God probably next week. So the fear of the Lord is the one fear that should reside in all of us, and yet it's also important for us to understand that 1 John 4.18 is not in tension with Proverbs 1.7, because the fear described in 1 John 4.18, which is phabos in the Greek, which means dread or terror, has to do with punishment, judgment for those outside of God's perfect love, and the unknown that goes hand in hand with a life lived outside of God's will. That's phabos. But the fear of the Lord, Yira, is an awestruck wonder, a respect, a, a reverence for the Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, everlasting God. The fear of the Lord. And when the word Lord is used in this verse in Proverbs, it is specifically referring to the God of Israel and none other. It is the, the covenantal name for God in the Hebrew. Okay, So the fear of the Lord, the one true God, is a humble submission to Him, which is foundational to the attainment of real understanding. That is a constructive and instructive and preserving fear that we should all have. We should all have that. So at least part of the reason that unbelievers cannot grasp understand, accept the Bible as the authoritative word of God is because they have no fear of God. Okay? Because the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and understanding. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, 2 Peter 1, 19-21 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay? You cannot gain wisdom 
and understanding and useful knowledge from God's word until you understand who he is. Until you humble yourself in reverent fear and respect and begin to serve him. Once you're born again, you have the mind of Christ by the spirit of God. It is then and only then that you can begin to accept understanding the teachings of scripture. You begin to understand that and the fear of the Lord is in you, which is the beginning of that process, okay? That's why the Bible doesn't save us. God saves us. The Bible is a tool given to us by the Father to give us guidance and understanding for this life, but in and of itself, it holds no power or influence in your life unless you're a God-fearing, Christ-following believer. Because it is only then, as a God-fearing individual, that you can glean understanding and power for living in the ultimate truth that is held within these pages. Okay? The truth about Jesus Christ and the truth about our eternal future. So there is a healthy kind of fear that we should all have. And before we go any further with that, let's tackle now the unhealthy fear that so many of us live with, sometimes daily. This is the first John 4.18 kind of fear. This is the fear that says, I'm never going to get better. You know, I, I'll never truly be happy again. My life will never be as fulfilling as it could have been because I've blown it. Or I have no promise for a good future. I hear that one. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's he going to think of me? What if I mess everything up? What if I say the wrong thing? All of these fears that plague our minds and numb our senses, they're fears that seep into our thoughts, you know, and they stain our perspective, our worldview, until they become a part of the very fabric of our minds and our hearts. These fears paralyze our ability to function at full capacity the way that God designed us to. So how do we combat them? How do we overcome them? How do we actually live without fear? Well, the answer is in 1 John 4. So again, let's start at verse 18. And we'll work backwards through this text and see if we can answer that question. Okay, verse 18 says there is no fear in love. It doesn't say there's some fear in love. It doesn't say there's a little fear in love. It doesn't say it's okay to fear when really terrible things happen in life. No. It doesn't say there can be fear in love. It says there is no fear in love. Period. End of argument. There's no fear in love. You know, that sounds really good to me. I mean, I could get used to the idea of living without fear. How about you? So if there's no fear in love, if that is in fact true, then we need to answer some questions about this love. First, what kind of love is this? If I'm going to base some major decisions, life decisions on this love, if I'm going to allow my life to in fact be dictated, directed, motivated by this love, then I want to know what kind of love we're talking about, right? That's pretty important. If there's in fact no fear in love, then what kind of love are we dealing with? The next part of verse 18 answers that question. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, great. That's great. That's easy, right? No big deal. Your love just has to be perfect. Great. For a long time in my life, 
Every time I saw the word perfect in the Bible associated with me, with us, I felt about an inch tall because I am well aware of the distance between me and perfection. And the idea of me somehow attaining any measure of perfection in my life at all seems utterly ridiculous. I'm not perfect, and I never will be perfect in this lifetime, so why, why try, right? I felt that way. We've probably all felt that way. Well, we try because he not only commands us to be perfect, but he gives us the power to be perfect. Matthew 5.48, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> I can tell you that not only am I still a long way from perfection, my wife can tell you that too, but other than Jesus, I haven't met the perfect person yet. In fact, the Bible says, funny enough, that none of us is perfect. Romans 3, 9 and 10. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So what's the point? The point is that we're commanded to keep on striving for perfection in Christ, even though we won't necessarily attain that until we reach the other side of eternity with Him. Okay, And that honestly gives me new energy to keep pursuing perfection, because even though I may fall short of the goal, I can continually become closer to it as I walk with Him and labor for Him day by day. And as I do that, the closer I can become to perfection in Christ. That's actually uh, a pretty exciting truth for me. And I believe the same holds true for perfect love. We may never get there, but we'd better not ever stop trying. We're commanded not only to love, but to love with a perfect love. And this should be our constant striving. So there is no fear in what kind of love? Perfect love. Question number two is, where do I find love? Well, this really should be an easy answer for all of us, right? Back up to verse 16. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Okay, there's your answer. Where do we find love? In God, of course. This is Christianity 101. And yet, we look for love in so many places, don't we? This is a classic example of accepting something intellectually, but not allowing it fully to embed itself into your heart, your very being. And many of us do this. We understand what the Bible says, and we say that we believe it, but our lives don't reflect the truth in Scripture that we say we believe. Listen to me. There has to come a point in our lives when we begin to accurately reflect what we say that our convictions are. Otherwise, we're at best fooling others around us, and at worst, we're fooling ourselves. That's a recipe for living a life that is a caricature of true Christianity. God is not looking for platitudes. You know what I mean? Lip service. He wants your heart, your conviction, your passion, your commitment. He wants your time and your, all of your attention, your interest. He wants the real you, not some half-cocked, counterfeit version of you. He wants it all. There's a reckoning for every one of us. A moment 
when what we've claimed to believe and how we actually live are reconciled. For some of them, or some of us, that happens in death, and yet, by his unbelievable grace, he affords each of us the opportunity in this life before we pass into the vast expanse of eternity's grasp and the hourglass of opportunity for us to make a decision about whom we will serve has expired to choose. To actually live our lives devoted to him. Or we can just talk about it. The great part is that not only does he give us that opportunity to choose in this life, but he says everything that you need to live that life, that, that difficult, that challenging life, full of sacrifice and reward, everything that you need to make it can be found right here in me, in Jesus Christ. And that's true of his love. Everyone wants to be loved, and yet we can be really dysfunctional at times when it comes to loving others. We'll talk about this more in a minute, but often the reason that we are sometimes unable to love others like we should is because we don't always look to the source of perfect love. That's Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think we can love others rightly by our own goodness. Jesus himself said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Mark 10, 18. We simply don't have the capacity on our own merit to love others the way that we're commanded to. Okay, again, 1 John 4, 16. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. So love is found when we abide in Him. And I'll tell you that I have honestly just been blown away by watching so many of you in how you love others around you in, in this church. I've watched you serve each other in love in ways that could only be explained by the fact that you abide in him and he abides in you. We truly have become a family here and our family's growing and it's unbelievably exciting for us to see this beautiful community of believers come together and serve each other and love each other and reach out to those outside of our walls. And you know, honestly, I hope we never change in that respect. I pray all the time that God will help us to continue in the way that we began here. This simple gathering of believers from all walks of life, you know, many different backgrounds and experiences choosing to become a part of something beautiful, something bigger than ourselves, a family that shares the love of Christ with one another and with everyone that walks through those doors and everyone we encounter out in our city. I love that about this church. I love that about you. The truth is, I see his love in you every time we meet. And all of this collectively points toward living a life without fear. But there's one more piece to the puzzle, and it's a big one. We know that perfect love casts out fear. We know that we find love as we abide in him, and he abides in us. So here's the last question. How do I perfect it? How do I realize perfect love? love. I mean, I understand that it is perfect love that casts out fear, right? I know that God is love, and so he's our source of love. But how do I realize that perfect love in my own life? And we need to answer this question because it has a direct bearing on how we live without fear, right? Verse 18 says that perfect love casts out fear. So how do I experience that love perfected in my life? First John 4 talks about two ways. 
that love is perfected in us first by abiding in God and him abiding in us. Again, 16 and 17. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. 17. By this is love perfected with us. So perfect love is found in God. We really just covered this, right? So we won't spend any more time on this point. But it's found in God. But the second part of the answer to this question is not so obvious. And I believe it holds the key to the issue of living without fear. Let's go back to verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another. That's, that's the key phrase here. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If I'm honest, I have to tell you that these verses have vexed me a bit. They've confused me a little bit. They've been troubling for me because it has always made complete sense to me that if I wanted love to be perfected in me, all I had to do was just love God more, you know, press in to Him, get to know Him more, pray and meditate on Scripture and dwell in His presence and worship Him with all my heart. And slowly but surely, His love would be made perfect in me, in His presence. In other words, in order to experience perfect love working in my life, I just needed to get closer to the source of perfect love. That makes a lot of sense to me. And yet that is not what this passage says. It says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's a huge difference here. In order for me to have the kind of love that casts out all fear, I have to love others. Others who are imperfect, who aren't always nice to me. Others with all kinds of problems. Others who are all screwed up who don't think like I do, who don't look like I do, who don't always love me back. They might not even like me. I have to love all those people for love to be perfected in me. Yes. Yes. How does that work? How is love perfected in me when I'm focused so much on imperfection? All of these imperfect people. It's the opposite of what I thought. It turns out that's exactly the point. You see, God is perfect. In truth, he's not that hard to love. Is he? How can I not love the one who is perfect? The one who saves me, who heals me, who loves me, who comforts me, who strengthens me, who provides for me. The fact is, God is pretty easy to love. It's everyone else that isn't so easy to love all the time. People have problems. People are needy. People don't always love you back. God, on the other hand, doesn't have any problems. He always loves me back. He's easy to love. And when I'm focused on my relationship with God, which is a good way to spend your time, by the way. I'm certainly not knocking that. But when I'm solely focused on me and Him, I am built up. I am edified. I feel great. What's the common denominator there? I, I, I. There's a whole lot of me in there. And there's certainly time and place for that. However, when we begin to love others with all of our needs, with all of their needs and problems and issues, when we really start to focus on each other instead of ourselves, our love is put to the test. 
You see, when we love God and worship Him and bask in His presence, there's nothing better. But if you want to test the strength of your love and commitment to God, put down your Bible and your guitar and your worship CDs and go outside and try and love some guy that smells because he's been living under a bridge and eating out of trash cans. All right? Go try and love that person that just betrayed your trust and hurt you immeasurably. You want to perfect your love, go and love the unlovable. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Our love is perfected when we love like Christ loved. And that was a life spent loving others, not just solely focused on loving the Father. You see, that time we spend in His presence alone with Him and no other distractions, and we all need that, those are times that we recharge our spiritual life. We refresh our relationship with Him and our commitment to Him. It's a time of renewal for me. But if you want to hone the love that He's put inside of you, if you want to be perfected in love, you have to get out of your prayer closet and go out into the streets and begin loving people around you. And so what does that have to do with living without fear? Well, it turns out it has everything to do with living without fear. You see, our fears are rooted in selfish thought. Our fears are born out of concern for ourselves. So when we're focused on loving others instead of loving ourselves, the love that we have in us for others, even those that don't always deserve it, that love begins to grow and mature and become perfected in us. And when that love reaches full maturity, a perfected state, guess what happens? The relevancy, the significance of your own fears begins to fade. And before you know it, your fears don't matter nearly as much as they used to because your focus is on others and not yourself. Your love is focused on others' needs rather than your own. That is perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear because there is no room and no time for selfish fears when your life is wrapped up in loving others. Does that make sense? Can you imagine what the church in America would look like if we really caught hold of this truth? It sounds like heaven to me. What would your life look like if you began living this way? What would, what would my life look like Think about it. Let that, let that sink in a minute. Would your life look differently? Would your life be different if you could let go of all of your fears? If you were free to love God and love others without fear, what would be different in your life? Some of you would be in full-time ministry. Some of you would experience joy like you've never had before. Some of you would finally be fulfilled. Many of us would finally find what we've been looking for and we would change the world around us. It starts by loving others with the love that he's put in us and casting off our fears. Perfect love casts out all fear. All fear. So what is it that you fear today? What makes you afraid? What keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? You know, I got a phone call the other day from the bank. There's never anything good for me when me and the bank interact. It just, 
<laughs> There's nothing there. The bank called me, and they, my wife and I live in a cabin up in the mountains here, and we own a home that we've been trying to sell for four years on and off, and we can't sell it. We can't afford it, so we've been renting it out. And the bank called me and told me that they were raising our payment by $254 a month because apparently they figured out we're renting it out. We weren't hiding that, but I don't know how that information they came by. I don't have $254 a month to give them anymore. The rent doesn't cover that. And I began to panic. I mean, I literally began sitting there and I could feel the blood pressure rise and I began to have this sense of panic. What am I going to do? If I raise the rent that much, they're going to leave. What am I going to do? I can't lose that, lose that house. What, what am I going to do? And, and, and you want to know what? As that was happening, I was literally sitting in my office writing this sermon. <laughs> and it's like the Holy Spirit said, hey, dummy, look, look at the screen. And I'm looking at my computer screen at what I just wrote. And I actually laughed at myself. And you know what I did? I began to pray for you. I began to pray for you. I know some of your circumstances, what some of you are dealing with, difficulties, and I began to pray for you. And it was amazing how all of that panic and concern just went away. You know what? It's not that I'm not going to address it. I'll, I'll do some things in the natural to try and take care of that. Of course I will. But I am not going to spend one moment worrying about that. No fear. No fear. I'll just... I'll just think about somebody else and I'll pray for them. What is it for you? What is that fear that you can't seem to shake? Maybe that a relationship is going to end or your finances aren't going to be adequate or your health will fail and that your family will never be whole again. What is that fear for you? Wouldn't it be nice to be free of that? Start loving others. Start focusing on others' needs and see what God will do in your life. Let's pray.